You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just remember next week, if you guys are the ones that need to be we're aware that you, lose, you gain an hour of sleep. So, you know, if you show up, you'll be at the 930 service, you'll be extra spiritual. The later you get, the less spiritual you are at this church. You know, the eight o'clock people are like saints, right? So, just kidding. We are thankful that y'all are coming late because we've actually spread out pretty well this, this weekend. So, that's really good. So, all right, we are in 1 John chapter 5, kind of slowly but surely working our way to the end of this little epistle. Be done in just a few weeks, right at Thanksgiving, right in time to jump into Advent. So um, excited about that. It's been a good series for us. Very repetitive, very uh, circular, but I think these are some truths that we need. Um, I, uh, there's a movie that uh, came out in the 80s, and uh, I, I mentioned it earlier service, and I've actually surprised that some, some people have actually seen it. Um, because it's just one of those random movies. It, it was called Victory. Um, and it's a uh, World War II movie. And uh, so I'm a World War II guy. I love, love that kind of era of history. But it's also a sports movie, kind of. It's kind of a sports movie because it's about soccer, which is kind of a sport. Not really, but kind of. But So I'll give it a half sport. So, so it's a World War II movie with soccer in it. And the plot line is that there's a bunch of allies, obviously. You know, allies are, are captured by the Germans. They're POWs. And they are going to be playing a... a soccer game against the German national team, which is like world champions, right? And so you got a bunch of guys from uh, all different countries that never played soccer before, maybe played high school soccer. Um, actually, the reality is some of the movie stars were actual real soccer players from the 70s and 80s, like famous guys that I don't know, except for Pele. I know Pele. He was in it. But um, so they go and they play this, this German team. And unbeknownst to the Germans, the British resistance is going to, it's going to spring these guys at halftime. They're digging under the locker room and at halftime they go in, they got like 20 minutes where they, can, they think they're planning, but really they're going to spring them, they're going to set them free, they're going to escape. But for some odd reason, they go in at halftime, the allies, and some guy's like, but we can win this thing, y'all. We can win, right? They're down four to one. And, and, and so there's this like, yeah, let's not go free. Let's go play the second half, right? And so they do. They go back out in the second half, and, uh, and they start, you know, fighting back and calling back. And there's this climactic scene at the end where the Germans have a PK. And in the goal is your very own Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone. Yes, he's in it. And he's the goalie. Okay. And it's this, this final scene and the German goes to kick it. And there's Sylvester Stallone diving, you know, to the side and boom, catches it. And he goes crazy. And it's the end of the movie. And it ends in a tie. A tie which they don't actually call it a tie in soccer because they like to downplay the fact that it's a tie. They call it a draw, but it's a tie. And I was thinking what, about this, being like, that's a horrible name for a movie. It should be called tie, not victory, right? But I guess that doesn't sell movies, right? It's, you gotta call it victory, but, it, but they didn't win. They tied, right? And, and tying is like, yeah, you know, trust me, my team tied this year. Like a tie is like, we'd rather lose. Nobody likes a tie because we wanna win. And, and as Christians, here's the truth that we've got to grasp today, and this is what we're going to talk about, is that we have been promised, guaranteed, a victory in Christ Jesus. And not just like a close game, game seven, went into extra innings, not that. We're talking about a crushing victory. That is what has been given to us. Paul tells us in Romans that we are not just conquerors. He says that we're actually more than conquerors, which means it's like, Huge. And so today, John is going to remind us that we are victorious. And I think this is huge for us because a lot of us 
me, myself included, we don't always live like we win. We don't always live like victors. If at best, on our, maybe on our best day, some of us, it's a tie, and our worst day, it's a crushing defeat. And so John wants to remind us and encourage us, hey, Christian, you've already won. Battle's over. And what that looks like and how, do we, how did that take place? And even kind of what does it look like as we live it out? What does victorious living look like in our lives? Those are some of the things we're gonna talk about today as we unpack these five verses, okay? So 1 John 5, 1 to 5. And, and we've talked about a lot of things that John wants this church to know, that, that you may know this, that you may know this. And today it's just you may know victory. That you may know victory. Because we, anybody not wanna win? I mean, everyone likes to win. You like to lose? I mean, I wasn't here last weekend, so I couldn't comfort you uh, as your pastor, all you Georgia Anything fans. Because you had a bad weekend, let's be honest. Let's just call it what it is, it's church. You did not come into Sunday and like, oh, I just love Nick Saban. I love it when he does that to us every time. None of you did that. Except for you Auburn fans, you're like, yep, I love it. Nobody is a Braves fan last Sunday. I, by the way, predicted this. I prophesied this. Remember this. But nobody was like, game seven, we got this tonight. Every Braves fan, every one of you was like, we're going down tonight. We are going down tonight. I know the Braves. You are right. You Georgia Tech fans, for the three of you in here, I won't even address what happened to y'all. The only thing you got is the Falcons, which still blew the worst Super Bowl thing ever. So you don't, there's like two of you guys left. You didn't get a win, Falcons. Congratulations. Still stink, but whatever. The point is this, we want to win. We like to win. And God promises that his people victory. And that's big for us when we look around and the world looks like, man, it's not look like we're winning. It looks like at best we're tying, maybe losing. It's, it's big when, when you go into your office on Tuesday and they say, man, business is slow, dude. We got to cut your hours 50%. That's in those moments, car accident, uh, this, this addiction that you, you thought you had, you, had, you had conquered six years ago and it shows back up in your marriage or in your, in your life. And it's in those moments we need to be reminded, we need to know victory. That's what we need to know. When you go into the doctor and they stay stage four, we need to be reminded. No, no, we've been given the victory. So let me read our text um, and then we will we'll jump in uh, and, and kind of unpack it. And I want to highlight three things to you. But verse one, let me just read our text to you. Everyone who is believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? And so three things to highlight about uh, about us being victors, of us being conquerors. Why is that true? What does it look like? He starts, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. Remember, Christ equals Messiah. Not his last name, is his title. G- everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been, what? 
born of God. That's an important phrase. If you're an underliner, highlight it, underline it, circle it, that you are born of God. Literally, it means you're born from above, that you are fathered by God. So when you believe that Jesus is Messiah, you have become fathered by God, that you are a child of God. Huge idea. He jumps and says the same thing down in verse four. He brings this idea up again. Everyone who has been, there it is, born of God, and here's the key. Here's where we get our idea of victory. If you have been born of God, what, what does he say? You've overcome the world. He overcomes the world. This word, this is the verb form. This is the Greek word, nikeo. We get our English word, Nike. The noun form is actually nike. Nike, looks like Nike, right? Nike means victory, expensive. That's what it means, really. But no, it, it, that's the idea. And he's going to use this word three times in verb form, one time in noun form, overcome, conquer, victor, conquering power. That's the idea. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this overcoming power, this victory, there's a noun form that has, what is the, has overcome the world is our faith. And the tense here is significant. This is why we believe that every jot and tittle will be fulfilled, that, that every word is inspired in the scripture. He uses the aorist tense, which is a, a completed action. He says, it's done. The victory is done. It is complete. Yeah, we got to play the game still, but it is over, right? That is the truth of what has happened. And wh- what is this victory that overcome, that, that finished the deal? Your faith. And if you follow along, if you kind of stare at it long enough, you see this. It's a circular idea. It's all related. Let me, let me show you a chart I put together just to help you think. He starts off with saying, if you believe, if you have faith that Jesus is the Christ, what happens? You're born of God. And if you're born of God, what happens? You have victory. You overcome the world. And what is the victory that has overcome the world? Your faith. You see how it's, it's all related? It's, it's, it's all one piece. And the idea here that he's trying to highlight is is. You want to know victory? Where does victory come from? Ultimately from being born of God, which comes from your faith. It comes, first thing I want you to see this morning, from a new identity. This idea that you are new, that you are born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, born of God, born from above. All sorts of different terminology the New Testament uses. New birth, regeneration, new heart, new spirit, partakers of the divine nature, made alive, new creation, all these things. Child of God, they're all talking about the same idea that you have a new identity with all sorts of implications. New father, new family, new heart. And it came through what? Faith, which is what gave you the victory. By believing that Jesus was your Messiah. Not just the facts, that you have recognized I'm a sinner, I am separated from God. Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, died on a cross in my place as my substitute, rose again on the third day. It's my faith in him and him alone, not baptism, not church, not good things. The faith in what he has done alone saves me. Right? He ascended on the third day from the grave and then he ascended back into heaven. That's what he's saying. When you believe that, you have a new identity, you are born again, you are born from God and then everything changes. Fundamental, external, internal, eternal. All sorts of changes that God puts his spirit in you. He sets your life on a whole new trajectory, a whole new past, a whole new present, a whole new future, a whole new eternity. It's a victorious one, right? It's, it's, it's what we are about. The world wants to... to 
to focus on, you know, turning on the inside and self-help, trying to change ourselves, make ourselves better. And so we got to read this book. We got to do this. What God does is he says, no, 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 don't, you don't try to change yourself. I'm going to come from the outside and I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you a new family, a new father, a new everything. And then things are going to start changing. And sometimes it's super fast and sometimes it's painfully slow. But it's what God does in us. We're not supposed to go inside and try to figure it out. And, and the reason I often see myself failing and not having victory, and I think it's probably true of you, if you're honest, is because I try to manage myself. I try to white knuckle it. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can be better. I can change. I can stop. I can this. That's not the path to victory. And if, you, if you've ever dealt with addicts or you've been one in any kind of thing, this is very typical. I can do it, I can manage it, I can just make rules, I can just do, I can do, I can do, I can do. And they can for a certain season and then they fall. Why? Because there's been no lasting change, right? And so what Christianity is not just believing in Jesus and I get to go to heaven one day, right? It's heaven coming down, God putting his spirit in us, changing our heart, life, trajectory of our future, our legacy. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not just true. It is true, but the dictionary is true and it's not really that good of news, right? Unless you're a spelling bee nerd, then it's great news. But there's only like one of y'all in the whole state, right? So good news is that God, amazing news is that the Savior of the world loved you, pursued you, puts his spirit in you, and now he makes you new, that you've been adopted into this new family. And now you as a Christian are inseparably linked to God the Father through the work of God the Son and by the sealing of God the Holy Spirit. That is good news, that you can never be separated. What can separate you from the love of God in Christ? Nothing. That no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. That no one can snatch you out of the Son's hand. You are linked. So whatever happened to Jesus, whatever is true, Jesus is true of you. Ask a quick question. Second service didn't do so well this. Please, you guys have had extra sleep. Did Jesus win? Wow, good. First service is like, I don't know if I should say anything. I don't know. Yes, he won. If he didn't win, you're not in this room. You're in this room for no reason. The, the, the resurrection, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's over. So if you are linked to God the Father and God the Son, if Jesus won, guess who wins? You win. Right? Why is it, this is going to be painful for some of y'all, why is it that all the best football recruits want to go to Alabama or Clemson? Let's be honest. Because they win big championships. It's a reality. I know it's hard for some of y'all. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, they win. They just do. And people gravitate to them. Now, they don't win at all. They often lose too. God never loses. And so when you are linked to him, when you are inseparable with him, you don't, you're a winner. You're a victor. You, by what he has done, are a conqueror. And that is your identity. And so you have this loving father. I know the image of, a, of a God as father. For some of us, it makes sense. You got to remember how radically uh, new idea that would have been for these New Testament readers. When Jesus says you can call God your father, that would have been like, what? But for some of you, it's a, it's a challenge because you had a deadbeat dad. You didn't know your dad. Your dad was abusive, whatever. Understand God is a perfect heavenly father who, who loves his kids. I mean, I love my kids and I am 
by far a perfect dad. We orient, my wife and I orient our life around our kids, right? Saturday mornings, I gotta go to football, I gotta go to soccer, I gotta, gotta go, you know, right? We do that. We provide for our kids. Who, if, if two people in a family need new shoes, kids and dad, who gets new shoes? Kids get new shoes, right? This is what we do. And that's from sinful, broken, lousy dad. This is God, your heavenly father, who loves you. And so when you feel like you've let him down again and I've messed up and I did it again and, I des- and you feel worthless and you feel useless, God, your heavenly father is not saying, you're not, he's saying you're not worthless. You're my daughter. You're my son. When you feel dirty and unclean and, and, and just the filth of the world is on you, your father says, you were, but you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You're pure, you have hope, you have meaning. We need to grasp this, y'all. It's huge. It is a huge piece of being a follower of Jesus. There's victory in your identity and knowing who's your dad. My dad is God the Father. And no matter how things run here, good, bad, whatever, he's always my dad through my faith in him. That's a big piece of of walking and understanding in in victory is knowing it's not because of what you've done, it's what is it? Your faith makes you born of God. Born of God gives you victory. What is your victory? Your faith, which has made you born again. I mean, it's just great to continue just to kind of sit in that, chew on it for a little bit, right? But that's the first thing, victory in a new identity. Second thing is victory in a new love. And we've talked about love, love, love more than the Beatles and REO Speedwagon put together. But then we're going to keep talking about it because John keeps talking about it more than any other New Testament writer. John mentions love, 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 right? You saw it last week. Clint talked about it, love. And, and the idea is this. This is where, this is where the, the life of victory is lived out. This is what it looks like. You might, if you say, what does it look like to win in life, to be victorious? Oh, I got money and boats and cars and you know, success and I look like this. He's going to say, no, 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 that's not victorious living. Victorious living is there's a new love and the, and the first object of that new love, and we've looked at it a hundred times, is whoever loves the father does what? Loves whoever is born of him. If you love God, you love the kids. All right, that's the idea. You love God, you love his kids. You cannot say, I love God the father. And you look over there and be like, I can't stand Joe the plumber. Right? I can't stand that guy over there, that girl, that, you can't do it. You just can't. You cannot say, I know it's very popular. Well, I love Jesus and I'm okay with him, but I just don't like the church. Can't do it. Doesn't, doesn't work. Can't break the two up. You can't say, I love God, but I can't stand my wife, my husband. Sounds real spiritual. He says, no, it doesn't work that way. Whoever loves the father loves other Believers, the family. And there's no, just so you're reminded, there's no family that is not dysfunctional because you're in it. And you're the dysfunctional one because you're a sinner, right? And, you, and we're not talking about agreeing on everything. What family can agree on everything? I mean, you could be single and you can't even agree with yourself. Let alone if you got kids, we can't decide what kind of pizza crust we're getting on a Friday night. How are we going to agree on everything? He's not calling us to agree on everything. He's saying that if this is family, you, you, can't, you, you can't not love them. And is that always easy? Of course not. It's not the point. Sometimes family's crazy. The point is you don't treat family like the enemy. That is what victory looks like. 
Love conquers. You know why? Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things because love is conqueror. Right? But John does something interesting here. Look at verse two. He says, by this we know that we love, and I dealt with that, love with the new people, the church. By this we know that we love the children of God. He's been saying, he kind of flips it up here, okay? He's been saying, you know how you love God? Love people and obey my commandments, right? How many times have we seen that? You know how you love God? Love people, obey, obey my commandments. He said it 50 times in his book. Now he says, you want to know how you love the children of God? Love God and obey his commandments. It's like he's flipping it up. Why? All these three things are all the same ingredients. They're just different, a little aspects, different angles. He's saying you have, if you love God, you're going to love his people, you're going to obey. If you're going to obey, it's going to look like loving God and, and, obeying, and loving his people. They're all related. You can't come up to me and say, man, Bill, I love you, but I can't stand your kids. I would say, you want to show me you love me? Love on my kids. That's just, that's just the idea. But then verse three, this is where I think well, we need to deep dive a little bit. He says, this is the love of God. He's going to define it again. He's defined it otherwise, but here's what he's going to say here. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That's, that's a big word right there. Underline it, circle it, you know, highlight it, put little smiley faces by it, whatever you want. That you keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. The word means heavy. Uh, weighed down, hindering. See, when you have a new identity in Christ and what he has done, there's gonna be a new love for the people of God, but there's also going to be a love for a new pleasure or a new delight. And that you are going to not have to obey him, you're going to take pleasure. You're gonna delight in following God's commandments. It's not, I have to obey God, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. It's, I get to. I want to. It pleases me too. That's what he's saying, right? God's commands are not meant to be burdensome, to bring you down, to make you miserable. My youngest will come home from school almost every day and he's got his book bag on and I think it weighs 3,000 pounds, literally. He looks like a Sherpa. I mean, he's like walking in the house, you know, I'm like, hey, buddy, how are the Himalayas? Great, you know, I mean. And so this week, my wife actually asked him, said, oh, do you have a lot of homework, buddy? He said, no, I, I, I've really done just a couple things. I'm like, then the, why are you carrying all the books? Why you got this? Why you, you look like you're going into Paul? What's going on here? Just leave everything at school. Bring home your note, you know? I think many of us see the Christian life that way. It's just, I gotta, I gotta put the book bag on. Gotta have this, 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 this. And, and we went up our walk in our life and we're walking like the Sherpa, barely taking a step here and there. And you know, it's not very fun, but it's following Jesus. You know, that's kind of our mentality. You know who didn't put all that stuff in your bag? Jesus didn't put that stuff in your bag. Because he says, take my yoke upon me. My burden is light. It's not a book bag with 50 pounds of of science books. It's a fanny pack. That's light, easy traveling. That's what it is. Do you know who loves to put stuff in your book bag? It's religious people. It's legalists. It's Pharisees. 
In fact, that's what Jesus tells the Pharisees. He's telling people about the Pharisees with the Pharisees there. He says, this is what they do. They tie up heavy burdens. It's the same Greek word. It's the verb form versus the noun form, but it's the same root word. They tie up heavy burdens, burdensome stuff, hard to bear. Lay them on people's shoulders. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Here, you, you want to be a good Christian? Here, put this in there. Are you going to put this in there too? Oh, don't drop that. You're going to hell if you drop that. Oh, if you don't do this, you're going to put, you can't fit this. You can't walk any faster than that. If you don't do that, God's going to punish you. And that's what they do. And Jesus says, Y'all just come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? I will give you rest. No, the things that God says, okay, we do need to put this in the bag because it's important that you do X and Y. The things he says, you know, as your dad, this is not good, and this is the direction I'm leading you, and don't go over here. Is there things? Of course there are those things, of course. But they're not meant to be burdensome. They're meant to be for your good. See, I'm not, and I'm not saying, don't, don't hear me saying, Christian life's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. I'm saying it's not supposed to be heavy because Jesus took the burden of your sin already. Not meant to be heavy, but it doesn't mean it's always easy, right? It's not easy. But when you start seeing what God has said is good, when you start seeing it as a delight, when you start delighting yourself in the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart, that's victorious living in the Christ. When it's not I have to, it's I get to. It's what the psalmist says time and time again. He says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I find delight in your commandments, which I love. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. See, that's a new heart. That's the delight. That's, that's a, that's a des- delight yourself in the Lord. He's given you the desires of his heart. It's I want to love, I want to follow, I want to serve, not a have to. One of the, if you ask my, uh, my kids, what was one of the, what's one of the best vacations y'all have ever taken as a family? Somehow, somewhere, I don't know, in the top, it may be number one, maybe number two, but it would get mentioned is our, we took a trip to Hershey Park several years ago, right? Hershey, Pennsylvania, founded by Milton Hershey. We actually got our dog and named him Milton. Milton. We named it our dog after our trip to the Hershey Park because it was so good because we love Hershey Park. We don't love Milton. We love Hershey Park, right? He's just a marker. He's an Ebenezer of Hershey Park. Um, anyway, uh, so and, and if I told my kids, hey, we're going to Hershey Park this summer, but here's the rules. Listen to me. You must do this. You must ride every roller coaster at least three times. And you must go like we did last time and make your own chocolate bar and we have to eat it together. And you must go and eat junk food and eat nasty hot dogs and funnel cakes. And then you have to go to the arcade and spend thousands of dollars getting tickets so that you can buy a spider ring. Right? You must do all those things. And then we must go to Red Robin afterwards and eat more milkshakes and more hamburgers. These are the rules. You will follow them to, to, to finality. If I do that, I have just ruined Hershey Park. Because they want to do those things anyway. We're going to do that. That's what we delight to do. But it, when it's, I have to, I have to, that's, a, that's the perspective that it's like, well, fine, I have to, whatever. That's, that's what some of us are doing. It's not that I have to read my Bible every day. It's no, I get to go spend time communing with the living God. It's not that I, I have to go to church. No, it's I get to go to be an encouragement, to hear God speak to me through this knucklehead bill. He's going to get out of the way and the scripture hopefully will speak to me. And, and then I get to respond in worship and, and express that, that I love him, even if I'm not a great singer, but it doesn't matter because the guys next to me aren't anyway. So I get to do that. And then I get to encourage other people. I get to do those things. 
which is a little taste of heaven. It's not that I have to go serve or I have to go be generous. No, I get to build into eternity so that one day I hear Jesus tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. This is gonna last you for all eternity. It's not that I have to be pure. I have to be pure. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm a teenager. Everyone else is doing this. College student. No, it's you get to preserve oneness in your marriage that will pay off when you're 50, 60, 70. See, see, it's the wrong perspective, right? And, and when you start having the right one, it's a, it's a victorious way to understand your life. And it's not always easy, and I'm not saying it is, but that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit, so that you can love him, love others, and so that you start delighting in him, and he gives you the desires of your heart. That's victorious living. It's not getting rich, it's not winning a lottery, it's having a love for, for a new people, and a love with new pleasures to follow him. And wherever that leads, it's always better. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't obedience, when it's played out, isn't it just better? I was listening to a sermon from a church in Jacksonville this week. I listened to often and the pastor, he, he said this and I thought, man, this, this is good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna snake this from him because he probably stole it from someone else. But isn't obedience just better than disobedience? I mean, it's, isn't it lighter was his language? Think about this. I mean, hypothetically speaking, I know this is not, this not happened, but hypothetically, everybody from now on living in Savannah, Georgia, always obeys whatever God has said. Boom. I mean, just even the last, last, ten, last six of the 10 commandments. First four 10 commandments are our relationship with God, right? Love God with all heart, don't make idols, honor the Sabbath day. But the last six are all relational, all our relationship with others. What if everybody in Savannah and beyond always did these things? How much greater would this place be? I mean, number five, honor your father and mother. Parents, if you were like, you came home and you said, hey, kids, make sure you clean the room, take the dog out, take out the trash. Yes, ma'am. If you were like, hey, someone go let the cat in. And they're, like, they're not like, but I'm in the middle of my video game. Can't Joe do it? We've never heard that before. They would just be like, yep. Wouldn't it be awesome if you tell your teenager, hey, make sure you're home by midnight. And they show up at 11 o'clock and they're like, I know you guys wait up for me and I just wanted you to get a good night's sleep. So I came home early. How good would that be? That's just number five. Number six is murder. And I'm not even talking about like Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. I'm talking about like slander, anger. If you could get online and be encouraging to people and not see how bad everybody else is. If, if you didn't have to worry about people talking behind your back, if you didn't have to worry about a harsh word from that person, Someone cutting you off and, you know, flipping something to you that they don't have any business doing. I mean, how much nicer, right? You could have a conversation with somebody you had a different opinion with about politics and you would still like each other, which is very rare these days. What about adultery? Adultery of the heart, no more lust. You can go to Tybee and you don't have to worry. You're just like, man, everything's good here. You have to guard your eyes at the mall. You don't have to like at the house parents with teenagers and younger kids, you don't have to have passcodes on everything because they can get on everything. My coffee machine now is internet and Amazon Prime. I have to put a code on my coffee machine because I can watch. You don't have to worry about that. You just don't have to worry because everyone's being faithful. Stealing. There's no more life lock identity theft. Man, you can, you can put your credit card, you can tattoo it on your forehead. No one's gonna take it. That'd be dumb, but you could do it. You, there's no car keys anymore. There's no house keys. You just, every car would just be like an on-off button, right? Because no one's going to steal it. You just go to the mall, hit the button when you get out, right? No one's stealing anything. 
Stealing your ideas, cheating off your paper, lying. No one's lying, everyone's telling the truth. When they say the check's in the mail, it really is. And they say, oh man, I forgot to send the check, I'll send it tomorrow. You're like, oh good. Parents, shoot, I got three kids. You're like, okay, which one did it? And everyone's pointing up. They're gonna be like, he did it, he did it, I did it. They're gonna tell you and he's gonna admit it and it's gonna be great. Coveting. Wanting other things. How much stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, overworked, everything because people want more. We gotta have more, we gotta have more. Next thing, how much debt we have because we had to have that, had to have that, had to, and it's all gone. If we just obeyed. And I know it's hypothetical to the kingdom, but the point is this, obedience is lighter. And when the people of God see that and delight to follow what God has said because he's a good dad who gives a new identity and a new family, that's where victory is. That's how you overcome, right? That's where we need to be, right? So there is a new identity and a new love and new people and new pleasure. And there's one more thing. There is a new outlook. The new perspective, right? That you actually grasp these things and they impact your daily. Because there is a difference between waking up and living from victory or living for victory. And I'm not talking about power of positive thinking and if I say I'm rich, I'm going to be rich. And if I say I'm tall, I'm going to be tall. I've tried that. It doesn't work, right? We're not talking about that. We are talking about taking every thought captive. That's what Paul says, or to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory. We're talking about that being a, being a cheerful person because a cheerful heart is good medicine or, or trusting in the promises where God says, I won't leave you, forsake you. So I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. We're talking about what, understanding what is good and true and focusing on that and let it, let it live itself out. But if you, the difference between living uh, from a position of victory and defeat, uh, a person that wakes up tomorrow and says, man, because of what Christ has done, whatever's thrown at me, I win. Bad traffic under end, I win. Don't get the seal, I win. Right? Things don't go my way today, long day, tiring, hard, yes. But in the end, guess what? I still win. No matter what happens here, even again, stage four cancer, three weeks to live, I win because of resurrection. I win. New body, glorified body, forever and ever. People hate me because of my walk with Jesus. I win because I'm blessed if they persecute me for righteousness sake because they did the same to Jesus. Whatever happens, the person that has that, well... I don't know, kind of, it's up in the air. That person is, the, their, their victory, their life is, is all re- result of circumstances. Well, see, you know, it's only Tuesday. It's like four days of the weekend. Got a whole, whole week ahead. And I go, oh, I guess, I guess it'll be a good day if I make a sale or if someone says hi to me because they don't seem to like me at the office or if there's not too many coffee grounds in the coffee and the temperature's not below 72 at the office because I hated that and I can't do anything with that. And if this person, this, and it's always circumstantial, right? Oh, I mean, it's just been a bad day. It's been a bad day. That's not what we're talking about. And I'm again, we're not talking about, oh, I'm going to talk victory into my life. We're just saying, no matter what, I win. So how does that help me live the day? That's a different outlook. Because let me, let me challenge some of you that, that are so worried about November 4th. We're gonna have a new president sometime. Who knows when? Maybe two years from now, for goodness sake. I don't know. But here's the, idea. Here's the big deal. It, it's, it's not going to change God's sovereign plan for the United States of America. And 
you don't know. I don't know either. I hope it doesn't go this way. But 40 years from now, it, this country may look a very different. We may be like the UK and, and other places that the gospel thrive. We may be a persecuted people with, with not the freedom to gather like we do and to preach on the things that we do and to open the word of God that we do. It could go that way. We could be ostracized. We could be persecuted, like legitimately. I know that there's some persecution that people are not allowed to go to church and I get that. That's not what the North Korean brothers are facing. <laughs> That's not what some of the folks in, in places uh, in China are facing. We're talking about jail and death. We're just like, oh, we can't meet. We have to meet on Zoom. Okay, that's better than going to jail. But it could go to that place. But you know what? That, all that's gonna do is put us in the same camp of the people that were getting these letters originally. <laughs> they're suffering, they're poor, they've lost jobs. And, and you got guys like Paul that say, who's in jail for the second time after like, 50 boat rat, getting beaten, starved, cold, all these things. And at the end, he says, I win. I win. I'm being poured out like a drink offering, but I have finished the course. I have run the race. And the, for, the, for what's coming ahead, I win. I win. I get a crown. How is that possible? Because he has the outlook that it has been finished. Look at again at verse four and five. Let me highlight this to you and we'll be done. He says, uh, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes, present tense, highlight that in your mind. And this is the victory that has overcome, past tense, the world, our faith. Who is that that overcomes, present tense again? He switches the tenses here in the original. And, and the idea is this, you right now are called to be overcoming, present tense, continuously. How does that happen? Because of the victory that overcame, past tense. It's your faith in what Christ has done that gives you the ability right now to, to deal with that sin, to deal with that circumstance, to come out on top of that, even if it feels like a loss. It's, it's a perspective of what has been done for me in Christ drives me during the day. That God, based on what he has done, has already prepared good works that I may walk in them. Right, that's what Paul says. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in him. Everything that God has called you to do is already there. You just have to walk in it. It's not let go and let God, but it is he, based on what he has done for me, I can conquer this lust, this, this uh, anger. Uh, I can face this cancer, this struggle, this, this family issue with hope. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect, but I still win in the end, right? Because he guarantees victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Through the Lord Jesus. This is in the context of the resurrection. Second Corinthians, thanks be to God. Notice thankfulness. Victorious people are thankful people. You get that? I mean, no one... Is a winner, oh, there's one. Bill Belichick is the only thankless person that wins anything because he's the Antichrist, but that's another story. Everybody else, when they win, is thankful. They're cheering. Thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal profession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Right? That's, there's a thankfulness and a joyfulness in the people of God because of what God has done. And so whatever we face, good, bad, we can have victory. It may not look like victory. It may look like a loss. It may look like a tie. Look, if you stand up for Jesus in this culture, it's gonna look like a loss at points because you're gonna be the only one. You're swimming upstream. We preach a gospel of, of Christ alone uh, of just the exclusivity of Jesus, we're gonna be swimming upstream. We talk about marriage between a man and a woman, and we're gonna be swimming upstream. Purity before marriage, not drunkenness, all these things. We're swimming upstream. Doesn't mean we're losing. 
We've been guaranteed the victory because of what Jesus has done. And that gives us hope. That gives us joy. It should drive you to be a pleasant person. It's encourage you. If, again, cheerful people are, are victorious people. I, I listened to a sermon from David Jeremiah. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's been preaching in San Diego for 50 years now. He preached a sermon this past week. I listened to it. And at the end of it, he talked about smiling, of all things. And I thought, this is kind of interesting. And he did all the research. And apparently, there's two types of smiles. I mean, some of you doctors might know this or psychologists or whatever, but uh, there's the fake smile that everyone does when like Thanksgiving pictures, like, yeah, smile, mom, mom, can the picture be over you? Yeah. And then there's a real smile uh, that you smile with your eyes and there's actually chemicals and things that are released that actually, that are good for you when this happens. And I was thinking, what a shame that we're always wearing masks, you know, now because you can't tell, if, I can't tell if you're mad at me or not, you know, when I'm walking down the Publix, but have you ever, have you been walking down the Publix and, you, and you're actually trying to be nice and you smile at someone you're like, they can't see that I'm smiling. So they think I'm just like looking at them or something. It's weird. But actually the study shows that they can see when you smile with your eyes, that you actually can see because there's something about it and, and it's, it's good. And I was thinking that that is not related to, you know, chemicals or anything, but I think as, as Christians, you smile, is your cheerfulness. Because the enemy doesn't want you to have joy or, or happiness or contentment. He doesn't want you to smile. He wants you to be miserable because you're missing out. And what the victorious Christian says is, no, I'm not missing out. I got everything in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that movie again, and I thought, yeah, I, originally I thought that was a you know, bad name. Victory is a bad name for the movie. It should be called Ty. But I went back and I thought, you know what? No, it actually is a good name. Because what happens after they tie is the French rush the field. They grab all the players. They throw like jackets on them so they can't see their uniform and they set them free, right? Which probably wouldn't happen in real life because the Germans probably just would have shot anybody. But in the movie, it's great, right? Because they end up tying and they get to go free. But the bigger win is this. Who wins the war? Good guys. Crushing. Sometimes it looks like a tie. Sometimes it looks like a loss. But in Christ, we win. It's a great reminder. And maybe some of you need to remember that. You have a new identity. You have a new love of the people of God. The pleasure of pleasing God. It's a new outlook. And if you don't, and some in this room, maybe don't. You, you don't have that guaranteed victory. You don't have the assurance that your sins are forgiven. There's only one way. Over beliefs that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. That's the ones who are born of God. And we'd invite you. We'd t- love to talk with you about that. We would pray with you about that. If that is you and you don't know that that is certain about yourself, please come talk to us and we can point you to the Savior and you can have hope and you can have uh, victory as well in Christ and Christ alone. Why don't you stand and we'll, we'll sing. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the victory given us in Christ, for the promise of, of the ultimate defeat of sin, death, Satan, but even in our lives that you promise pre- your presence, you promise uh, your, your, your progress and your growth in us, that your spirit lives in us forever. Uh, may we find hope in that in, in troubling times. And for the person that doesn't know Christ, that they would find uh, the abundant life, to find a savior who says, come to me all who are weary and have you laid and I will give you rest. That you give forgiveness of sins, that you give eternal life, by faith in the Son of God and faith in Jesus as Messiah. It's in his name we pray. Amen.